You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to www.3cr.org.au. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Uprise Radio. We don't need music. Let us just talk anyway. And I'm sure that lots of people may be finishing work. Or So, you know, I think it's a uh, sun is shining outside and it's looking like a positive spin for Victorians and Melbournians today. And um, Jackson was very concerned <laughs> um, about the music. But uh, on the show today, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the things that have really come in from the pandemic and, you know, with workers having to um, work from home. And uh, some, some companies in particular... Um, you know, forcing workers to, I guess, without their choice to continue to work from home, you know, perhaps even indefinitely. And I think what we're going to see, I think, is with the work from home situation is really a kind of a new frontier of what we saw of casualisation in the... In the early uh, 90s and late 90s. I apologise, James. I think we just had some dead air there for some time. Um, Hello to our listeners. Apologies for the break. Uh, we are on air now. Uh, I do apologise. Just had a few technical issues. Sorry, James, you were talking a little bit there about the impact of COVID on workers. Yeah, as I say, um, on the show today, we're going to be talking about some of the impact that the pandemic has had on workers in terms of having to work from home. And I guess, yeah, looking at, you know, the I, I think kind of similarities between the introduction of casualization, um, you know, in a widespread way into the workforce. And now with workers kind of having to front the costs and responsibility of having to work from home. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's going to be a new, really a new frontier of um, workers having to negotiate that and the union having to, um, you know, play their role in helping to represent the workers who are facing some of those challenges. Yeah, it's been a really... It's been like a hugely varied impact on workers, COVID, you know, like, you know, obviously we've heard a lot about the insanity of hotel quarantine workers like security guards and cleaners and cooks and health marshals apparently not being well remunerated enough to just have the one job and having to work multiple jobs, people in aged care homes, you know, this is the much vaunted flexibility that we've heard so mm. much about in, you know, mine and yours, a lot of our listeners working lives, you know, always championing this flexibility, but, but these are some of the costs as well. And, you know, we've heard about the teachers forced back into classrooms while a lot of other people were still working from home. Um, so we hear all this endless talk about flexibility and dynamism as large organizations, you know, you know, claim they're trying to balance health with, you know, their endless ruthless search for profitability and efficiency, which often seems to trump the health of their workers. Um, you know, so as we're now Apart from the blip last week and our circuit-breaking lockdown, you know, we're now edging back towards what a lot of people keep calling uh, COVID normal. Um, but the flexibility is rapidly disappearing. Now, I was talking to some workers from like the advertising, marketing, even some IT workers over the last two weeks are being forced back into the office to be under the gaze of their boss. And on the other end of the spectrum, one of the larger social research firms in Melbourne uh, two weeks ago apparently told all of their workforce or everyone but the managerial managerial staff that work from home would be continuing indefinitely or forever and one imagines that company might have given up the lease on their offices Mm -hmm. or and are pocketing those savings while everyone else contemplates just how happy their makeshift home office 
really is. And and I think we can see, you know, already we think about some of the other call centers uh, internationally, you know, for companies, for Australian companies like Telstra and, you know, other, you know, huge companies where they have their call center workers often um, overseas. And, you know, they, those workers are forced to work in um, from their homes and, you know, with large amounts of people sharing a small amount of space, having to pay for their, their phones, their internet, their computers, you know, and we have often talked about, you know, this is a problem. These workers are, you know, living in these conditions, working in these conditions, which, you know, we wouldn't put up with in Australia. Well, we're certainly not at that point um, just yet, but I think we're, we're rapidly heading down a trajectory that which I think is really dangerous for workers. And I think for some people who want to stay at home and have some of that flexibility, that's great, but it needs to be, the workers need to have the control to be able to say, you know, to at least be at the table to be able to say when they want that to be. It shouldn't be at the boss's um, requests only. Mm. So to talk about all of that today, we're lucky to be joined by Davis Clayton, who works for the United Workers Union, uh, mainly helping workers from the call centre sector, and also a worker from a large research call centre here in Melbourne named Kelsey. Uh, Davis and Kelsey, I hope you can hear us. Um, Are you there? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Davis here. I'm just uh, working from home. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for having us on. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. Um, Kelsey, or maybe I'll start with you, Davis. Could you just give us a bit of info about the size of this sector? Like roughly how many Australians are employed in, in call centres and how many are United Workers Union members? Oh, I mean, I, I could only hazard a guess. Um, I'd say there's at least thousands thousands of workers working in, um, in the call centre sector. Um, in terms of our membership, we might have uh, upwards of a thousand plus, and, and that might cover uh, different industries. So that could be people that call you up and try and sell you stuff. Um, it could be people who take your calls uh, when you call up certain agencies like the tax office or something like that. Um, it also includes, um, and we're the main union for market research workers. So they're, they're the people that call you up uh, at dinner time and try and get you to do surveys. Um, important work, they're doing lots of research and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the basic numbers. And what are some of the issues that you found? I mean, we were just kind of, um, I guess, going for a bit of a idea of some of the things that we've kind of been uh, thinking about and talking to, um, you know, friends and comrades about. What are some of the issues that, you know, you've had from the union with the workers have raised? Um, oh, where do I start? I mean, it, it all it all happened very suddenly. I think it affected everyone uh, very quickly. Uh, in the way that it did around March last year. Um, and, you know, it took employers and employees by surprise. Um, and o- obviously there's a little grace period there where everyone's freaking out and working out what to do. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, a- after, after a week or so, it started to emerge. There were lots of issues affecting people. So, I mean, one of them was just uh, cost, cost shifting to employees. So I think a lot of employees were accustomed to having uh, their equipment provided by work. That would include... Um, you know, the computer, the, the keyboard, the phones, the, all the software, all that sort of stuff. And suddenly, overnight, they found that um, they're using their own computer, they're using their own phone, they're using their own, uh, you know, headset and stuff like that. And um, there's lots of issues here. So, obviously, there's the cost. Uh, some people didn't actually have that equipment. And in order to keep that job, they had to fork out, in some cases, thousands of dollars just to set up their work from home setup. And um, 
and uh, yeah, and um, other people are being forced to use their own equipment or you know improvise. Uh, they had to borrow equipment from other people. Um, there are other issues around uh, sort of ergonomics and OHS. Um, so being forced to suddenly uh, convert what might might have previously been a very you know scrappy sharehouse uh, situation into a into a home office um, was a bit of an adjustment for people. And you've got background noise. You've got stuff that you have to deal with. You might live with your family. There might be babies and mums and stuff in the house. Um, you know, you might have a small cramped room with like, you know, bad ventilation, which, you know, you might put up with for a bedroom overnight, but you don't want to work there for hours on end. Um, and uh, yeah, a, a whole bunch of other issues. Um, maybe um, Kelsey can speak to some of those as well. Yeah, I mean, um, everything that you just said and like no heating or cooling or anything. Um, I live in a share house and I actually live and work in a sunroom that doesn't have a proper door and I'm about two metres away from my kitchen. So, um, yeah, there's not a lot of separation there, I guess, um, between home life and work life. And um, for a job like that, that can become really problematic. Um, you know, like we can get yelled at by respondents um, over the phone unexpectedly. Um, we work on surveys that deal with really distressing sort of subject matter sometimes, like you might be on a survey that deals with domestic violence or elder abuse or child abuse. And those are all projects that we've run um, over the past year. And yeah, to do that at home without anyone there to support you and uh, without co-workers to debrief with, um, it's really rough for a lot of people. So when you talk to your co-workers now, Kelsey, like how do they feel broadly about working from home and how has that changed over the 12 months, like from the start where it might have seemed like a novelty to now, like how, how's the mood today? Mm, mm. Um, yeah, I guess like people coped with it because it seemed like it was going to be temporary and like myself included. And I think this is the attitude of most of my coworkers that I've spoke to as well. Um, I guess when we found out that we would have no office ever to go back to, that really changed things. Um, there was kind of the expectation that one day we would go back and we would have our co-workers with us. And the office environment is really friendly and really supportive. Um, so now to know that we will never get that back, um, yeah, it's rough. A lot of people have taken it really hard and it's like quite a mental health concern. Can I ask how it was communicated to you that you would never be returning to the office? Uh, we got an email at about quarter to five on a Friday evening uh, saying that they had already made this decision. And um, yeah, the union wasn't notified beforehand or the delegates or anyone else really. Um, and then the next week after they'd already made that decision, then we had some uh, consultation meetings, which I mean, is not really what it means to consult people about a decision <laughs> if you've already made it. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much how it went down. And maybe I'm being incredibly optimistic, but was there any discussion at all of what would be done with all of the savings that the company uh, would be making from not having? No, they're, no they're, they're still claiming that it doesn't save them any money, wow. um, which you know begs the question, why are they closing the office then if mm. it doesn't make any financial difference? If you look up, if you look up online, how much an office costs to rent uh, per square meter, and do the maths, like companies can save a lot of money by shutting these places down. And some of these offices per square meter cost as much as like the weekly rent of you know your average sharehouse worker, and that's just per square meter. So to shut these places down, they are saving a lot of money. Um, one of the things they said in response was, "Oh, you're saving so much money by not having to travel to work." And I'm like, "Well, look, that only applies to people who paid. That doesn't apply to people who rode a bike or walked or you know fare evaded or whatever people." Were doing to get to work i don't think that quite e equalizes in the way that you think it does 
and and other than that, yeah, people are providing their own houses, the office now, and they're paying rent on that, and that's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> and um, also in a context like just to sort of, I guess, give some background to uh, what's happened all through last year. Um, we didn't get any sort of financial support in setting up our home offices in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so be that buying or fixing or replacing equipment like computers and phones and whatever else we needed, um, internet costs, phone costs, um, any sort of running costs, and let alone like setting ourselves up with a reasonable ergonomic space in which to work from home, which no 20-something call centre worker is going to have just at the ready. Um so yeah, and on top of that, there's never really been much job security and like no consistent work at all. Um, so it is really a situation in which, um, you know, increasingly all the risks and burdens and costs of employing someone are being shifted from these multi-million dollar businesses onto the individual employee who's already living paycheck to paycheck and who can't really handle that sort of blow. Mm. I think um, one of the interesting things is about... Um, you know, as touched on before about the kind of camaraderie that you have at work and I guess, you know, that kind of solidarity that can be formed as well. And I think, you know, that's one aspect of, of really coping with, um, you know, jobs that you perhaps don't uh, love. Um, but, you know, I think it's as well a really great organising um aspect for workplaces as well. You know, that may be to um, get along to the uh, climate change protest or, you know, for union organising itself. Uh, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I guess both, what do you think the um, Davis the Union can do to kind of bridge some of the gaps here? And, you know, how can, um, you know, I guess both trying to change the situation and, you know, what could that kind of solidarity and organising look like if people are in individual houses? Um, yeah, the organising challenges are pretty unique. Um, so obviously we've taken our existing um, membership, so all the call centre workers and everyone, and, and uh, brought them together. In they, they already had their own informal, you know, Facebook discussion groups and areas where they would chat and stuff like that. Um, but this has really created the need to really make sure that everyone's in there and talking to each other and has the opportunity to talk to each other. Um, we do have one call centre that's not not the one that Kelsey works at, but. Um, uh, to give you an example, one one worker will log in at the beginning of their shift. They will work for four hours. They will have contact with absolutely nobody. They have no way to contact any other workers. They don't get any feedback from their employer. And then they log off and go to bed without actually having spoken to a single person. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the challenges there. Um, but, yeah, in terms of um, the existing members, getting them organised, you know, is possible. We can get them into groups and get them chatting and stuff like that, and they can meet outside of work, and that creates new opportunities for them. In terms of new people that come into the industry and and uh, haven't previously had that workplace culture, um, reaching those people um, is actually quite difficult. So um, they don't already know each other; they're not friends, and they might have access to each other on the internal chat systems or whatever at work. But they don't they don't actually know each other. They haven't met, and um, also some of these companies are also. Um, recruiting so they're, they're recruiting nationally so they'll recruit random people from queensland they'll recruit random people from melbourne uh, perth whatever all working for the same company and the chances of these people ever meeting at a pub or something like that um quite remote so yeah it does it does pose a lot of challenges but if we can get organized um with people working from home i mean you know not so much uh at, at my particular sites but anywhere that people are working from home i mean if people wanted to go for, go on a strike or whatever um, it's just a matter of turning their computer off and going to bed so if they can mm, get organized that's true it does make striking a lot yeah. easier you don't have to go anywhere i guess um <laughs> sorry go i ahead. guess so the issue the issue with that that um i guess we have been 
burned before at my workplace in terms of um, the surveillance of online chats and things like that, mm. um, which does sort of make it harder and and riskier to organize anything with anyone else. Um, there's always a paper trail, I guess, now that everything's online and you can't just walk up to someone and go, hey, we're doing this. Yeah, and you kind of, uh, yeah, I guess to circumnavigate that, you have to form your own networks outside of what uh, the business is providing. But again, that's putting the onus on the worker to set up, you know, this infrastructure all the time. Mm. I just wonder if mm. you could reflect a little, you know, Davis touched there on workers that are having no contact with their co-workers, even when they might be starting a new job. Kelsey, how have you found the the isolation has affected uh, yourself or your co-workers across this year? Um, for me, sometimes it's, um, I know it's really alienating. Um, sometimes you're just kind of like, am I, do I, do I exist? Like you don't speak to anyone face to face. You maybe speak to some people on the phone or you get yelled at, or maybe you don't speak to anyone at all. Um, contact with, uh, supervisors and people that are, you know, sort of supposed to be there to help you also is really difficult. Um, contact with your coworkers as well. Um, yeah, it is just, it's, it's really alienating. Um, and what's in place from the organization to help workers through that? Like if, if you get a really abusive call, which definitely happens to all forms of mm-hmm. telephone research and or mm-hmm. if you have that feeling of alienation, like is there any structures within your organization to provide assistance? Um, um, online, not really. It, it sort of feels like they've you know made this decision to close the office completely um but everything was still sort of being hashed out like all these processes and how things work at home anyway and they've just sort of gone ahead and decided that it's viable to keep doing things this way um but a lot of people you know aren't sure how to contact their immediate supervisor if they've had a difficult call um whereas in the office you would just kind of walk over to their desk and be like hey this just happened and then they'd offer you some paid break time um but yeah, it's not. It's like it's quite difficult to contact someone. You don't necessarily know who's on shift, um, and like if they're not there right then when you message them, do you call them? Is that appropriate? Like, there's a lot of confusion around that, I guess. And um, yeah, there would be a lot of incidents that happen that I've heard, you know, also from some of my coworkers that there would be, you know, a really difficult call. They wouldn't be able to contact anyone for like half an hour or longer. Um, also, things that happen um, in your home. So I've heard stories of like people who had to evacuate their building for like a fire or, or a reason like that, and they just had to take that on break. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, it's problematic. Yeah, we've had a few members who um who the fire alarm went off and they had to evacuate their building, and they just got told, "Oh yeah, well you you were stood down for that period. You didn't get paid." Wow. That's been happening across the board. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and are there things that I imagine you know there. Some of the workplaces are quite, you know, bigger sort of um, call centers and things would have perhaps their own um, EBAs and things that um, workers could look at. Are there things the union looking into, um, you know, or, or, you know, workers themselves looking into kind of what their own agreements or um, they've got industry agreements that, you know, perhaps the companies are breaching? Um, yeah, well, the, the EBA for Kelsey's particular industry is uh, about three years old. And three years ago, when we negotiated this, um, obviously, we didn't have this in mind. Um, and it's kind of regrettable because I think uh, work from home is something that call centre workers, including myself, when I used to work back in the industry as far back as like 2007, 
um, just they looked around and they said, this is just a computer and a, a, an internet connection and a phone. I, I could do this from home. And the company's always just laughed at us and said, no, 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 we need you at work. We not possible. Work <laughs> totally not possible. Yeah, not, no, no. That would cost more than zero dollars. So mm. we can't do it. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Also, there's the other element to it, which is um, they can they can control you at work. They can look you in the eye and make sure that you're... Um, you're working. Um, so yeah, that, that was something the companies never rolled out and it wasn't considered in the enterprise agreements. It's also not really considered under the awards or even the, you know, the Fair Work Act. We've just got these very crappy like work from home shortcuts where people get 80 cents an hour on their tax return. And then, you know, the JobKeeper amendments to the Fair Work Act, which barely cover all the issues. But can um, some so of the things around breaks and, um, you know, uh, if there's an alarm, go, fire alarm goes off at your workplace, for instance, you would surely... You know, they wouldn't stop the clock paid. then. So can some of those things that were applied to the workplace, can you just apply them to your new workplace? It's um, difficult to answer that question because I would say yes, but um, how it's ended up working out is that you don't get paid for time that you spend, you know, dealing with an emergency in your home or mm -hmm. um, if your internet drops out or if you can't connect to the server or some kind of problem that's not necessarily your fault in the office if something happened if the internet went down if whatever then we would um, at least get paid for the four hours that we're legally obliged to or we would usually just get paid for the time that we we're out of the building and then we come back mm -hmm. um, but yeah there has been a real issue at my workplace with um, people being quote-unquote stood down for technical issues and, and things like that um, without pay and that are not their fault we have seen an increase in the use of the stand down provision under the fair work act which was previously just used in cases where like you know a warehouse is literally burning down or something like that like something way beyond the employer's control um is now being applied to really basic stuff like oh the service crashed or the connection's gone down which previously would have just been treated as paid time uh now people are being told oh you're not paid for that time your whole shift is cancelled hmm. um too bad you, you touched on it there, Davis, though, that there is this opportunity to really revolutionise our working lives at the moment, you know, if we can organise and demand that we have some choice, you know, and it's the total lack of flexibility that's the problem at Kelsey's workplace. But, like, what is the union's vision for how workplaces can get this right? Like, how do we have work from home, you know, as much of it or as little of it as we like and make it safe and make it enjoyable and have a, you know, a pathway to to for uh, progression and growth and supervision and all those things that, that people look for in a workplace and some camaraderie, like what, what, what is the union thinking would be a good way to do this and, and what can we fight for in the next agreement? Yeah, well, we've gone through all the depressing stuff, but on, a, on an uplifting note to, you know, meet the name of the radio program. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, people people can join the union and they can organise. There's nothing stopping you from talking to each other. You can still jump online. You can still talk online constantly. Um, previously, where people weren't able to use their phones or, you know, talk too much while they're on the phones at work, now that's all gone. You can, you can be chatting on the side and talking constantly and organising and all that sort of stuff. People are free to meet outside of work. Um, and create whatever forums they want. Like the sky's the limit. You can get creative. And a lot of a lot of the shackles that we previously had by having to work on site are now gone. Um, things that people weren't allowed to do, they can now do. So if we can overcome some of these challenges about not being able to get in contact with each other, there's really no limit um, to how much we can organise. So yeah, I would say join the union and get more involved. And also, um, yeah, there are a lot of opportunities around um, the health and safety legislation. Um, so if you can, um, if you've got a union going at your website, you can elect health health and safety representatives who represent you and they have legal powers under state legislation which gives them access to all the other employees and they can organize the other employees to 
um, organise uh, in response to health and safety issues and they have the legal power to do that. So the employer can't prevent them from accessing the other employees. So we strongly employ people to do that. And we're going to use that legislation as much as we can. And, um, and yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. And if you are organising... If you are organizing and you've got some power, you've got some sway, you've got some people together and you're making demands, what do you think like the first thing you should be asking for if you've been told you're working home indefinitely? Like what is a what is a non-negotiable do you think moving forwards if everyone is going to be moving to this work from home model? Uh, maybe Kelsey can speak to that. We've got some demands going at um Kelsey's call center. Yeah, we do. Um there's been a, a ongoing struggle for a lot of things um you know just between ourselves as union members in this workplace and the bosses, as well as going forward to our next EBA negotiations, which are coming up pretty soon. Um, so we're really looking hard at things like being reimbursed for equipment that we have purchased to work from home and running costs and things like that. Um, as a sort of back pay issue, I guess, at the moment, but also going forward, we either need to be paid for these equipments and, and things that we need to keep our jobs or they need to be provided to us by the company. Um, we can't be made to wear those costs and um, it's not right, it's not fair. Um, on top of that, also we're looking at things like a work from home loading to cover operating expenses. So things like electricity and internet and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I guess also we're trying to leverage the uh, health and safety representatives that we've just elected, which we um, finally managed to elect last year during the pandemic. Um, so we now have those representatives and they're able to issue legally binding demands that the company improve mental health support and um, do safety audits of people's work from home setups to make sure that it is appropriate and, and safe and ergonomic. And um, if not, sort of, I guess, require the company to fix that themselves. And then the companies and the the companies and uh, and the government will point to things like you know um, uh, you know coronavirus payments and JobKeeper and mm -hmm. uh, you know handouts here and there and say oh that pretty much covers it the eighty cents working from home shortcut but like mm -hmm. in a lot of cases it doesn't yeah, it and didn't it didn't exceed. last year <laughs> so pe people need pay rises they need they need work from home allowances all that sort of stuff just before and, we, and you know um, most casual workers did not qualify for JobKeeper. Also, yeah, um, yeah. I had two jobs at the time when JobKeeper was uh, brought out, and I qualified for it uh, through neither of them. Mm -hmm. So I worked pretty much full time hours in order to get the same amount of money as I would have got on JobKeeper. Mm -hmm. I just want just before we um we have to wrap up in a moment, but Kelsey, I wondered what the um union membership is like at. Uh, your workplace and whether the kind of issues that have come through COVID have had a perhaps a positive impact on people wanting to join the union? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so typically we've had a really high density of union membership um, at my workplace. Uh, so most of the people, at least who work in the call centre, are union members. And I believe that's still the case. It is still a majority, but um, it's definitely fallen a lot as more new people who are just remote workers are, are brought in. Um, and there's a few issues that I think are, are at work there. Um, first of all, it's harder to get people engaged when you're not in the office and you're not talking about these issues and everyone is really isolated. Um, so I guess it's just harder for us to make that connection. Um, and also, like, I guess in a much broader sense, um, you know, all of these issues that we've been experiencing with the company sort of not helping us buy our equipment, uh, closing our office, and just the insecurity of the job in general. Um, it speaks to, I guess, us being treated more and more like subcontractors. And I guess if you're like going for that job and you see it as that kind of temporary job, then how involved are you really gonna get with union action and things like that? 
Um, and I guess also for the staff that are that are ongoing since before COVID, um, there is like some amount of like frustration and, and energy behind that. But there's also like a really palpable sense of defeat, I guess, especially since they've decided to close our office. Um, it does sort of feel like we're swimming upstream a little bit. And um, yeah, I guess like the company, because it is subcontracted to do services for government and businesses, which is part of a much broader trend of this happening where, mm. you know, businesses will outsource services and things like that. Um, I guess it gives our bosses a structural incentive not to care about us in favor of cutting costs and undercutting their competitors for the next contract and that sort of thing. So I guess structurally, it's it's a really huge and kind of daunting issue that we're facing well, as um, as unionists. Keep fighting because it's extremely essential that we do so, so that we have jobs that we want in the futures and not Absolutely. jobs that are just a struggle to survive, which is what you painted at the start. Like everyone just keeps on keeping on until they literally can't anymore and then they, they drop off and that mm. high turnover you know, that, that's one of the mm, factors in mm-hmm. it, isn't it? And that they are aware. Look, thanks to, to both of you for joining us. I'm really sorry to our listeners for the audio issues to began that began this show. We had a good run, James, but we just blew it up. Now we're back to zero shows without an audio issue. But thanks to both of you. Um, enjoy your upcoming weekends, mingling with friends and whatnot uh, again. Uh, and yeah, thanks heaps for being on the show. Can I Thanks just say so quickly, um, if there are people stuck working at home and you, you haven't got anyone to connect with or organise with, don't despair. Give the union a call and we, we'll put you in touch with other people that work at other call centres or work at your call centre. Thank you so much, Davis. And uh, just before we uh, finish up, we should just say that if you uh, love 3CR like we do, you should definitely subscribe and you can hit the uh, 3CR website and it take you all of about 30 seconds and you can... Subscribe and help out 3CR. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.